Hitting All Learners Alliance podcast for today. I'm here with Sarah Mohammed, who is the founder of Ed Research Works. And so Saro, in her work, um, she fights the injustice of knowledge hoarding by making deep and meaningful connections between research and practice in order to expand equal access to educational opportunities and improve outcomes for all learners. And so we are happy to have her on the podcast today. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks. I'm good. I'm so glad to be here. You know, I discussed in your background, you talk about, you do research, you talk about, um, educational equity. And so in diving into the research lens of things, what are some things that we should ask for from the research about particularly um, students with disabilities? So I think we're at a crossroads of sorts uh, in terms of the research on students with disabilities. We actually know quite a bit about several different types of disabilities and how we can best serve those students. I think what we should be asking for now is a deeper focus on what researchers like to call the outliers or you know those students perhaps in tier three or receiving special education services that aren't responding to intervention, for example. Just an acknowledgement that each student is an individual and they're needs and um, you know what might make sense for them and what might be effective for them might be very different from other students. So a shift in focus from understanding the average and understanding efficacy broadly to narrowing down and you know getting much more specific for individual students. That's a good point. I'm sure it can be hard for researchers to make that shift from seeing a whole population as one as opposed to each individual. So that's interesting. Well, I guess in terms of some of those biases that may come up, what is an example of how having them can transform education research? Yeah, so uh, focusing on a group very broadly, um, relying on randomization and quantification in order to remove bias, Ironically enough, it can actually, that approach can actually allow bias to perpetuate. And so an example that I like to talk about in an urban school district, this happened maybe around 2010 or so. Um, there was an urban school district that had a number of struggling readers coming into middle school. And so they defined struggling readers as sixth graders, so incoming sixth graders who were reading at a third grade level or below. And so they were finding that this group of students, um, unsurprisingly, were, they were not progressing very well in middle school. And so they wanted to support these students by providing an intervention that would help them catch up with their reading so that they would be able to access other parts of the curriculum. And so they had read you know, about a one-on-one -on -one tutoring as a very promising reading intervention and decided to pilot test this for a year. So every single sixth grader who was incoming to sixth grade with a reading level of third grade or below were assigned an adult tutor and they worked with this reading tutor for one hour a week um, for the entire school year, so both semesters. And because this was a pilot and because this is a pretty intensive and expensive intervention, they wanted to have a sense, right, of was it working or was it not? And so what they did was they um, you know, measured everyone's progress in sixth grade in reading across the entire year. 
And at the end of it, they had an external evaluator. It was very rigorously designed. Um, they were using uh, the, the screening and benchmarking tool in order to understand students' progress in reading. And what they found, they were actually disappointed by. The official finding of the evaluation was that those students who received a tutor or who had tutoring for the year made one year's growth in reading across the year. And so that was actually no different to the other sixth graders who did not have a tutor, who on average also made one year's growth in reading across the year. And so they decided the intervention did not work, right? The, the treatment group performed exactly the same as the comparison group and they discontinued the intervention. And I think what folks don't realize is if you had asked the students and teachers who of the students who were struggling what their experience was, they probably would have come to a very different conclusion. Because when you think about it, if you start sixth grade reading at a third grade level or below, that means that on average, you've only made half a year's reading growth in the previous six years of school, right? So what they experienced was actually a doubling in their rate of reading progress across the year, having this tutor. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure to me, if I were struggling in a content area and somebody doubled my rate of growth with an intervention, that would feel pretty successful to me. And so by you know, trying to be very objective and by remove, removing the evaluator from the study and not really asking, not involving the teachers and students that were receiving the intervention, what does success mean for you? How successful did this feel to you? You actually lost an opportunity to really have a lot of acceleration of progress in reading for your most struggling readers. Yes, I love that example so much. And like you said, it just emphasizes that even who we're asking for this research can affect the results. So it's important to consider all the different lenses. And I love that. That was an actual example from a real school, right? Yay, I'm so happy for those students. That's awesome. <laughs> Hopefully they did continue and get that additional support, but... <laughs> I don't believe they did, which is very sad, right? Um, that's, and that's how when we over-rely on certain things in research and we don't really acknowledge people's individuality um, that we can end up with biased results. That's true. Just to go in a little deeper to that point, um, has that affected special education students this year um, even more than others? Definitely. So I think one of the things that I've observed in this past year is that the communities that have, I don't want to say thrived, but maybe survived the pandemic best in terms of K-12 education are the communities that had the resources to determine for themselves what their needs were and how to meet those needs. And when I say resources, I mean everything from finances to the political will to um, you know, school district support or school system support um, all the way through. And so that looked very different for different communities, even within a single school system, right? It might've been learning pods or it might've been 100% in-person school with a lot of social distancing measures, or it might've been um, cohorts of students where some students were in school 
at different times. And so they never interacted with each other groups of students. But the point is when you are able to, at the community level, right, get down and figure out for this specific community, what are the needs that you have and how, will, how can we best meet your needs? I think that's when school systems were really able to uh, pivot quite quickly and continue serving, especially those students who were receiving special education services. And so I think that's another example of when actually um, having the community lead the sort of research or the more academic discussion, having the community lead that discussion about needs and wants and opportunities for meeting those needs, then you end up with a very different answer than, you know, a, a group of administrators sitting down in the district office trying to figure out like, how do we provide services for students, you know, on such and such an IEP, for example. Yeah. And they may not have the visibility to know. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're trying to make a single decision for a group of students that might actually be quite diverse, even within a shared diversity, let's put it that way, right? So, yeah. you know, they, they're trying to make a broad decision and it's hard, I mean, I understand that, but there's not gonna be one answer that works for everyone. I like that. That sentence, I feel like just encapsulates everything. <laughs> there's not one answer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So this is so great. And I love that example you provided. Um, and so if people do want to follow up on your research and with you, where can they go to find you? So I'm on Twitter. My handle is at edresearchworks. Um, you can also find my company website at www.edresearchworks.com or my personal website at www.sarojani.com. That's S-A-R-O-J-A-N-I. Um, and I would love to chat with you. So if you reach out to me via, via email, which is available on both those sites, I will definitely respond. Awesome. And we'll include those links in the show notes of this episode. So definitely scroll down and click in to contact Saro. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And of course, for more information on the Educating All Learners Alliance, you can go to educatingalllearners.org and find us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook at Educating All Learners. Our Twitter handle is at educateall underscore org. Until next time, this is the Educating All Learners Alliance podcast.